Welcome to Deeper, a podcast of the Wollongong Baptist Church. Our podcast follows the Sunday sermon and aims to help our congregations go deeper into God's Word. Hello and welcome to this episode of Deeper. My name is Kate Cole and we are thrilled that you can join us today. Uh, We have Rod with us, not in the studio, which is what I would normally say. We're sitting here in the auditorium. Coming from a new venue. Yeah. <laughs> it's trying to sp- spruce things up a bit. Yeah. Uh, Mike's in New Zealand this week, so we are going to do our tech best to pull Pressure is off. on Mark. <laughs> we'll see how he goes. I think he'll nail it. I think we'll be okay. Now, Rod, you've been super busy lately. It's good to see you upright and alert. Mm. You've had a lot on. Do you want to tell us a bit about what you were up to on Saturday? Yes, we had the Baptist Assembly, and so it would be good to give a quick um, summary because we know there's been a lot of people praying over the last few weeks, which we're very thankful for. But, um, yeah, there were 22 motions as part of our affiliation and accreditation requirements that people hold to a biblical view of marriage, and we only got through nine of the 22, which means we'll be returning in February. So please, we'll be calling you to pray again when we get to the new year. Um, But... For those that we got through, they were all passed. And so we're very thankful to God that yeah, in what was at times a strange and heated debate, um, it was good that um, Scripture was upheld. So uh, we're hopeful for the future, but there's lots of um, ramifications perhaps for what has already taken place. It'll be interesting to see what happens in the days to come. And there's an article on the ABC website today which may indicate <laughs> some of the direction. Yeah, interesting. I'm halfway through that. <laughs> going to have to go through it a few times, I think. <laughs> Wonderful. Okay, well, thank you for being with us today. Let's uh, let's get into 1 Corinthians 13, that famous passage. Um, but I think it's crucial that we read this chapter in the context of what has come before, what we we're chatting about with spiritual gifts last week and where we're heading next week. Could you give us a summary of the significance of love as the primary motivation for using our gifts? Yeah, I was saying on uh, Sunday briefly that it sits between 12 and 14, obviously, in chapter 13, but it's deliberately um, placed there by Paul to say that what should govern his discussion of gifts, which he goes into detail in chapters 12 and 14, is this motivation for love that he outlines in chapter 13. And so, yeah, I highlighted that in verses 1 to 3, uh, he talks about how love is foundational, and then in verses 4 to 7, which is the bit that we know well that's often quoted um, it's really about uh, how that should shape our actions how love should shape the use of our gifts for the building up of Christ's body and then finally in verses 8 to 13 the chapter uh, talks about the permanence of love that continues on into eternity while gifts are passing and transient so to understand the importance of love over my use of a gift or the expression of it at any single point Mm, okay and this passage we hear at a lot of weddings. It's very, very popular. <laughs> mm-hmm. But the type of love that Paul is talking about here isn't just for brides and grooms. Can you take us through what agape love is? Yeah, so the this word agape is used nine times in this chapter um, by my count. And it's um, the definition of it is a sacrificial, selfless love or service. And so that is not a common word in classical Greek. Like uh, if you go and look for it outside of the Bible, you don't find much use of this word. And so it's become particularly known as the Christian's word for love and uh, most exemplified in Christ's love on the cross. So um, it's used of the father's attitude to the son as well, to 
his attitude to the human race generally, John 3.16, for God so loved the world. Um, it's his will for believers that they love each other in this way, in a selfless way. And that's really the focus in 1 Corinthians 13 about our love for fellow believers and our service of them as we use our gifts. But it's just one of three words that was often used in classical Greek in the first century. Um, Filio is one that's used a lot in the Bible as well, and that's sort of more friendship love. And so we get English words like philanthropy from it or... Philadelphia, the city in America, which is the city of brotherly love. Um, so, um, and then the third word, eros, which is more romantic love or amorous love. Um, that's not really used much in the Bible, but it's used a lot in classical Greek literature. Mm. So, yeah, it's interesting that the word agape deliberately chosen, I think, because it conveys something different. Mm. Um, and it's different to the way our world uses the word love today as a result too. Interesting. Okay. In verses two and three, we see that if we have love, we are nothing. This value judgment that we are nothing if we don't have love is very confronting. Can we hover over this for a moment and explore what is meant by nothing? Yeah. So the Greek word here is uden or uthen, and it means nothing or nobody. So um, another translation would be, I'm a nobody if I act in a selfish way with the use of my gifts. Now, I think that really goes more to the heart of what Paul's trying to do here with his argument. The Corinthians are desperate to be somebodies and to be impressive, to draw attention to themselves with the miraculous gifts in particular. And so they're looking for attention. And Paul's saying, if you're doing that, you're actually not a somebody. You've become a nobody, a nothing, which is a really you know, devastating critique of the Corinthians. And But that goes to the heart of what Paul's trying to say here. Um, you know, the motivation is supposed to be love. The purpose is to edify others, as we'll see a lot in chapter 14 next week. It's not about drawing attention to yourselves. And so they've got it completely backwards in the way they're behaving. Mm. So, uh, you know, we've got to take this on board. We live in a culture today where, uh, you know, we're specialists. And so we train for years for a particular career path or a particular skill or hobby so that we can say we're an expert at, you know, playing this instrument or doing this thing. Um, and so we, we tend to find a lot of our identity and importance in a skill because they're hard earned. And we often try to differentiate ourselves in a world of experts who <laughs> spend ages doing something. Um, and so there's a worldly um, secular way of thinking about gifts and talents which seeps naturally into Christians thinking in the church because we're surrounded by it in our culture. So we've got to be really careful. So I think it's a real big challenge to us, not just the Corinthians. Yeah, and being in a meritocracy, like we're, we're celebrated and awarded for being good at things as well. Mm -hmm. We've been talking about that a bit in our home group, just how countercultural this is and how difficult it, it is to work against this. Mm -hmm. um, we have some listener questions. So thank you very much for those who took the time to send your questions in. Uh, we had a listener say that they didn't realize that this passage was in the context of the body of Christ and serving one another. They had always tried to apply these love is and love isn't principles to loving everyone in all contexts, including loving those who are not in the body of Christ. Is this passage still applicable to loving others, especially those who don't know Jesus? Are there other passages instead that I shall be looking at for guidance on how to love others in wider context than serving the body of Christ? Yes, I love a double, even a triple-barreled question. Uh, look, I, I think firstly, we've got to say that love, um, as it's explained, especially in verses 4 to 7, 
is applicable widely. There are principles here. And so if I have preached on 1 Corinthians 13 at your wedding and you're listening now and you think maybe I shouldn't have chosen that, it still can be used. And um, yeah, don't feel like um, the principles here don't apply at some level to all of life, but that is not the intention or the context of Paul's uh, writing here in this chapter. So we we do need to be careful and see it's it's about the context of the body of Christ. And so... Yeah, it's right that they've picked this up. Um, and so I think you do, you should look elsewhere for uh, passages, particularly for loving those outside of the church. Um, I think the classics are the love your neighbor um, statements in the New Testament. So Luke 10, verse 29, uh, which are all of those statements relate back to Leviticus 19, 18, where is where we get the first sort of love uh, for your neighbor expressed in the Bible. Um, but loving those outside of the church extends not just to loving your neighbor, but even at times loving your enemy or loving those that persecute you. So like the Bible takes this to extremes, even for those outside of uh, God's church. So Matthew five forty four, Luke 6, you know, um, Jesus is the one saying, you know, this is how you need to respond in love, even to those that hate you or persecute you. Um, and so um, we don't like to think about loving others in that sense because we live in a country where we don't face that a lot. But yes, I should love my lab- neighbor in simple ways, just caring for them. But even if I were on the end of, yeah, really difficult treatment, I should still show love to those who are outside the church. And the New Testament would also, there's there's a further category of thinking about our love for those outside the church, and that is that I love them by sharing the gospel with them. If I really love them, I want them to hear about Jesus so that they might be drawn into his family and share the same faith that I have. Um, but I think my favorite verse, like I think when we think generally, how can I care for my neighbor, those around me, I think of Galatians 6 verse 10, where Paul says, Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. And I think that's kind of the emphasis in the New Testament. You especially care and love for those who are your brothers and sisters in the faith, but that doesn't mean you don't love those outside the church. And so every opportunity, um, you know, take your neighbor's bin in or whatever it might be, like show love, care for those around you, because part of that is so that you might have further opportunity to love them by sharing the gospel with them. Great. Uh, The 1 Corinthians 13 passage doesn't address accountability as being part of what love is, but we know from other passages in the Bible, example Galatians 6 and Matthew 18, that accountability is important for the functionality of the body of Christ. How uh, can we have an attitude of love in accountability? Yeah, they seem like a contradiction today because of our society. Um, You know, it's a struggle in our culture today because we've made love equal complete acceptance, no questioning of what I do, Uh, hence the love is love uh, kind of uh, mantra Mm. in the same-sex marriage debate a few years ago. And so um, you you have to accept to not question, let alone rebuke or correct. And so, um, yeah, we struggle thinking about it in terms of our, you know, the air we breathe in today in our culture. But the Bible actually has no problem on this front. Um, It actually puts love and accountability and correction together. Um, In fact, it's an expression of that love. If I love someone but don't correct something that's wrong or going to lead to harm for them, then am I really loving them? Um, It's the same argument that we talk about God's uh, willingness to judge. Um, If he were not a loving God, he would make no uh, differentiation between right and wrong. 
And, um, you know, some would argue that, um, yeah, that's how, if God is love, then he should let me do anything and there is no right or wrong. But no, God says, no, my, my love is to show that there's right and wrong and to judge it because actually that defines the nature of love that God expresses. Um, if I feel no um, concern about the Hitlers of the world, if we want to take it to extremes and that what they do is okay, is that love? No. Um, and so coming back to this a bit more sharply, um, the Bible holds these together. So even in the book of 1 Corinthians that we've been looking at, when we looked at uh, term four last year and we saw 1 Corinthians chapter five, we've even got uh, the church being urged by Paul to remove somebody from their fellowship because of their sin, adulterous relationship. and and But the point there is not, yes, punish them and see that they are removed and are never spoken to again. The, the aim of it is restoration ultimately. It's to remove that person from the fellowship so that they see that there is something wrong and that they actually need to repent of their sin and the desire is that they might be included again in the future. It's actually about loving that person by making a stand and saying that this action is wrong and that we cannot allow this to go um, forward where there is no accountability. Um, and same with those passages that you mentioned in Galatians 6, Matthew 18. Like, um, they're not seen as the antithesis of love um, by um, Jesus or yeah, further New Testament writers like Paul. Um, the two go together and, and ultimately will go together on Judgment Day. So we must not pull these things apart as Christians, even if our world desires to. I find the analogy of the velvet hammer helpful here. Like the blow needs to happen. That is an act of love, but you can do it gently. There is, and if you're coming at it with the motivation of love, there's a humility there. There's an understanding that we're equal in this. Absolutely. And I'm just trying to help you not go down a, a, a path of death. Like, That's right. Yeah. yeah. It's the manner so often that we're fearful of how yes. things will be said. But yeah. yes, we're in no way instructed to be harsh in the Bible, always to be gentle and respectful. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, some of us have more presentable and impressive gifts that potentially will make people around us feel inadequate. Uh, is this something we need to consider as we try to faithfully use what God has given us? Are there times where we should hang back and allow space for others to grow into acts of service that we could do easily and well? Yes, uh, I mentioned this briefly on Sunday, uh, that we might not use a particular gift for a season, say, as we want to allow others to serve if there is a limited need, say. Um, I mentioned, you know, do we need to be the 51st musician if we've already got 50 that are filling the roster? Or, you know, perhaps I can serve in another area where there's need that I can also do. Um, and, and also we might want to see others trained up. Uh, we can serve in other ways. Um, but above that, I guess, um, just expanding a little bit further on what I said on Sunday, I think this question gets us to think about, well, when we do serve, uh, which also came out a little in the middle section of the chapter in verses four to seven, that how does love shape our actions? We need to serve in a way uh, that's not drawing attention to ourselves. And so, like... Um, you know, if somebody's really gifted in something, they can do it in a way that's very quiet and unassuming, or perhaps if it's not something that's up front, it can just be in the background and people can be even unaware perhaps that it's happening. Um, but that person's serving with their heart um, to want to please God and not for the praise of people, then that's wonderful. Um, but we can do that same thing 
even if it is hidden away by constantly drawing attention and pointing it out to people so that I am noticed and praised and so on. So it all comes back to my heart attitude again. Why am I doing this? Um, so I think the big thing with this question and this whole area is doing a hard analysis of ourselves. Uh, our problem is we struggle to untangle, I think, our motives at times. That we we're often got mixed motives. We can all struggle on this. And even if I intend nine times out of ten to do something selflessly, there can be a tenth time where I've somehow drifted into looking for the praise of people. And it's just so dangerous. Um, so I, it's something I pray about a lot because I'm conscious of that, that that can sneak in and then I can have that wrong thinking. So I don't want that to be something that shapes what I'm doing. Um, I think, um, yeah, a certain self-forgetfulness is important. Just thinking about how what I'm doing might help others, um, not thinking about myself is a key thing I find. Okay, well, let's talk about the praise of others and recognising gifts in each other. Um, how do we express appreciation for other people's gifts? We so often praise the person. Could we be more thoughtful about how we encourage each other? Yes, definitely. Um, I think, yeah, we should certainly give thanks for others. I mean, the Apostle Paul's often giving thanks for whole churches or individuals at the end of his letters. And so I think Paul offers us a really good model of how we can do this perhaps uh, in a better way. Um, like, so he doesn't, um, we tend to praise in our society, I guess our secular influence, um, specific things, how I was impressed by some particular skill or something. Um, and so I talk about the person doing X, Y, or Z rather than saying, I'm thankful for the way you serve today, helping us draw attention to Jesus, or you built us up as a body. We were able to worship together or whatever it might be. And so, you know, Paul will pray things like in Philippians 1, 5, um, I give thanks for you, the ch speaking collectively of the church, for your participation in the gospel. Well, we probably wouldn't use that language, um, because, but it's good because he's elevating us beyond the person to the bigger picture and the themes. Um, in his prayer in Philippians 1, verses 9 to 11, he, you know, he prays that their love will overflow, that they'll be able to discern what is best he doesn't say that they'll produce all the gifts listed in 1 Corinthians 12 and more and they'll be super impressive to the culture around them or whatever it might be. And, and when he gets to individuals that he praises at the end of letters, um, you know, he'll say, um, support that person or encourage that person. They're devoted to the service of the saints. Um, he says that about Stephanus at the end um, of 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 15. He says, uh, he was really helpful. He refreshed my spirit, and he'll refresh yours too. I mean, these ways of speaking, I think, are really helpful. I think we could learn a lot from Paul's example, where he generalizes, focuses on what it's achieving for the body, or pointing us to Jesus, or general encouragement. Not we, we don't even know what Stephanus Stephanus does. Like, what has he done to be devoted to the service? We don't know. Um, if we did know, would that be helpful? Probably not, because it would elevate whatever particular gift he had, mm. see? And so we don't hear in particular what he did. Mm. We just know that he was a great encouragement to fellow believers. Mm. Well, that's a much better note for us to be left on at the end of yeah. a letter like Corinthians. Yeah, so much lighter. Yeah, okay. Um, in the back half of your sermon, you touched on the cost of serving. Um, and in increasingly, and especially in the wake of the pandemic, there's a movement of self-care and putting your own needs first to avoid stress and burnout. 
Uh, this approach can extend to not allowing others to take advantage of you in the pursuit of self-respect and love. So much of this is contrary to the gospel. However, there is wisdom in resting and keeping boundaries. How do we serve wisely to prefer the other? And are there times where we should not tolerate being taken advantage of? Yes, it's a big thing today, isn't it? And um, I think we have to acknowledge that there are different seasons in a person's life, that it can be uh, good that the person is thinking about their self-care. Perhaps they've been facing burnout or they're struggling with something um, to pressure such a person to be serving or, you know, you've, you've got to get going again. Hey, we're back into things now generally in the church. Um, would just be to be unloving and thoughtless. Um, and so we need to be careful that we encourage those that are in a position to be able to serve, to serve, but not pressure those that are really... And so that requires knowing where a person is at. You know, it requires, requires pastoral knowledge. Um, so I think we need to be um, careful in that regard, certainly. So I'd want people to hear that. At the same time, I think... Um, yeah, I think that self-care kind of talk, although it's helpful, has sort of permeated to the level where those of us perhaps who have plenty of energy and time and are not feeling like they're unable to serve are perhaps more hesitant or more self-protective than we need to be. And because we've heard that kind of talk, and it can be an excuse uh, in some cases for um, just not contributing because that would be easier. Um, it's just convenient for me. Or maybe there's a sense of um, laziness even that can creep in. We, we have been sitting on our lounges for two or three years in many cases and re-engaging has been tricky this year. We've really been slow coming back to things and probably things will be different again next year because we've had that sort of recovery year as it were this year. Um, and maybe next year we'll be full of vim and vigor. I don't know. But, um, but yes, so I think we've got to be careful. There's um, Perhaps we need to make lifestyle changes too. Like if I'm somebody that is so busy and I have no time to hardly invest in my family, let alone in church, then maybe there's something wrong. Like I'm valuing the wrong things or I'm allowing something to take over my life that shouldn't be at the center of my life. Has at that point my job become an idol? Maybe I need to go to a new position so that I can better serve those around me. Um, I think it's ultimately, for those that are battling with that bit, it's ultimately a worldview battle. You know, our secular culture says we're at the center of the universe. You know, it's got to revolve around me, what suits me, perhaps my family. Uh, whereas a biblical worldview would say Christ and his church are at the center. So a lot of us struggle with that today to think that the church is the center of our life. Um, we're surrounded by so many things. It's so busy. But if you ask somebody in the 18th or 19th century in England or wherever, church probably still would have been at the center of their life because there weren't a lot of activities. That was where you went on Sunday. It was, you know, your parish church or whatever. You knew everyone in the village or town. It's very different. These days we're very... Yeah, individualized and segregated and it's like an effort to draw together on a Sunday. And so I see it as a, just one of many things, perhaps, church in my life rather than being central um, and my faith being central to who I am, my relationship with God being number one. So I, I feel like it's a real challenge for us in our culture. Yeah, absolutely. But it's an opportunity for us to have lived experience of his grace being sufficient for us um, and him 
using us in our weakness. That's certainly a delight that I've had this year, feeling the Mm. post-pandemic fatigue and feeling like I can't do this. But there are ways that God has shown me that he has been at work in me that I don't know that I otherwise would have experienced because I thought I was doing it in my own strength. Mm. So it's certainly something to be praying about. Yes. Mm. Um, Personally, on Sunday, I felt challenged by your point that we should not just be on the lookout to serve in ways that we think suits our strengths. With the move to two morning services next year, it's likely that we'll have serving spots available that some of us have never considered or even tried before. What questions can we be asking ourselves as we consider how we can serve the body? Yeah, there's going to be lots of uh, opportunities to serve, as Mark outlined the previous week. So, yeah, there's, as we go to two services, there's going to be lots more people needed in welcoming, lots more needed in serving, in morning tea, lots more people, especially in kids' church and other things beside those. And so, yes, there'll, there'll be a huge need. And so as I think about those things, I've got to think, okay, um, am I able to serve in that? And the first thing is, oh, you know, I feel tired or what will that mean for my family? Oh, I'd have to get there early to do some of those jobs. Or, um, And so we look at the cost immediately. Uh, that's what we're drawn to. We don't say, if I got involved in this, how would it serve my brothers and sisters? What benefit would that bring to fellowship, say the morning tea aspect or the welcoming aspect, the connection of newcomers to make them feel a part of our church body to want them to stay and to grow in their faith with us. Um, I've got to see the goal of the things that I'm serving in and what they will produce in the life of WBC before I think about the costs or what that means for me. Now, sure, we've got to work out whether this is going to work uh, with our timeline, uh, with the family in the morning, if that's what we're you know, perhaps we're wrangling small children and trying to get there on time. It's not simple. Mm-hmm. And so certain things are going to be hard for me to commit to. But we need to wrestle with those things mm-hmm. and not just dismiss them. Oh, that's going to be tricky. I don't want to know about that. Mm-hmm. It'd be much simpler if I just did this one thing that I'm really good at. Mm-hmm. And usually that one thing that I'm good at means less time commitment or something. Like I've worked out something too that will be more convenient for me. Um, but that's not agape mm-hmm. love. That's... Um, is there can be a selfishness in those choices. And uh, look, I've, I think about this for myself as well. Um, you know, we have to think, okay, can I um, serve my brothers and sisters in this area? Um, and sometimes too, it's about partly to help us think through that. We're trying to get people to serve in teams. Um, so I think so often our mindset, even as we think about serving today is, from rosters or, you know, decades gone past where I just turn up for this one week and do this thing and do I want to do that? Um, But if I see myself, I'm part of a team with a bunch of people I want to encourage, I'm going to work with them, I'm going to have joy as I chat with them as we serve together, perhaps, you know, two or three people as they do welcoming together or a team of four or five that we often have doing morning tea. Like there's a bunch of people that I'm chatting with, encouraging them in their faith, having spiritual conversations, even while we do this task together. And so that changes my mindset about what it is I'm committing to and how I might actually not only help the wider body, but I'll help the few, those that I'm serving on my team with. And there is great opportunity for me to grow in friendship with that. Now, I could find a friend who I already know and have a good connection with to serve together on a team. That would be fine. But I could also meet new people because, you know, it can be hard to know everyone. Um, But if I join a team, I'll get into friendships with people that I haven't got a depth of connection with before, 
which and these are all just add-ons or um, you know additional benefits that flow to me as I serve the body of Christ. Um, and so rather than seeing it as you know difficulties and costs, think of the joys and benefits and things that flow even while I'm seeking to serve the larger group. Um, there's so much that will grow me, help grow others, help serve uh, my brothers and sisters. So much joy to be experienced. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that was a really helpful reframing of um, how we can think about this through the lens of serving the body so yeah they're great questions to be pondering thank you rod um well we might wrap it up there thank you very much for your time today my pleasure uh thank you mark not mike but mark (laughs) for all of the magical work you did to get this happening and thank you for joining us we hope you have a wonderful week and we will join you next time This has been a podcast of the Wollongong Baptist Church. You can listen to past sermons and deeper podcasts and also find information about our Sunday services on our website at wollongongbaptist.org.